actually looking at one verse today from 1 Corinthians 15, which we've been studying, talking about the resurrection. But verse 20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's the verse we're really looking at today. And as we look at it, who doesn't like guarantees? You like guarantees, don't you? You know, there's different ways we can look at it. Some people talk about warranties. You know, if you buy a new vehicle, you get a warranty saying when you drive off the lot, the car's not going to stop and fall apart or you'll be out all that money. No, they warranty it. But a warranty and a guarantee are not the same thing because a warranty says if something goes wrong, we'll fix it. But a guarantee is, a guarantee on a car, which they can't give, would be nothing will happen. This can't fall apart. This can't break. It's guaranteed to be okay. A warranty has value, but a guarantee is far greater. You know, we wouldn't buy a vehicle with a warranty, but we don't get a guarantee. Now, there's an interesting guarantee that happened many years ago. In Pearl Harbor, I know many of you or some of you have been there, but in December 7th, 1941, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and destroyed much of the United States Pacific Fleet as the United States then entered World War II. Three days later, Japan entered the Philippines where General Douglas MacArthur was stationed with some 12,000 troops. And he realized soon that he had a problem. He's in the Philippines, the Japanese are invading, but he doesn't have the naval support because of all that took place at Pearl Harbor with the loss of ships. And he realized he would have to retreat from the Philippines. And with the destruction of the fleet, he started making plans. And on February 22, 1941, 42, President Roosevelt issued the orders for the troops to evacuate Philippines. And before MacArthur left in March of 42, he told his staff and later broadcast a message to the people of the Philippines with a guarantee. And he said, I will return. I will return. He says, I guarantee it. I will return. Giving this promise that he would return and liberate the people in the Philippines. As if you know history, MacArthur wasn't very humble. And it wasn't a humble statement of intent, but a strong guarantee of what he wanted to do. A guarantee is a strong promise. But you know, a guarantee is not enough because what do we often hear about? We put words or adjectives around our guarantees, right? Because in marketing terms, it's not enough to say. So that we say, a guarantee, this is an ironclad guarantee. Well, this is a guarantee wrapped in iron, so it's really strong. Well, I made a list of the top five guarantees that you see in marketing as they tried to do this to us. You might guess what they are. Number five, satisfaction guarantee, right? You buy something, your satisfaction is guaranteed. That's number five. Number four, risk-free. Oh, no, this is risk. There's no risk. This is our guarantee to you. Number three, lifetime guarantee. On some things, you'll see a lifetime guarantee. They'll say this will last forever, so lifetime. And then low price will match any other price, right? And then the number one, what's the number one? Who's got a guess? Money back, you nailed it. That's exactly right. Money back guarantee. That's the number one guarantee you'll see in advertising. And in all these things, they sound really good. But do they really work? Has ever, anyone ever had a guarantee or a warranty that didn't work? I have. You know, where you get something, you think, oh, we're covered, and they go, no, I remember buying a car years ago, 
and the transmission basically started falling out of the car at 36,000 miles, and uh, nobody covered that. And it's like, oh, come on, what are these things? What is really guaranteed in life? What is guaranteed in life in the world that we live? What is really guaranteed? Products? Well, you know, some things last, but others don't. How about love? Is love guaranteed? Relationships. But we know that relationships break up. Jobs aren't. How about jobs? Are jobs guaranteed? Well, you know, working at one employer, these days, the average length of a person at a job is only four years. So it doesn't last that long. How about health or in life? But if we look around, you know, just coming out of the coronavirus and what happened the pandemic, we see people dying and getting sick, both old and young. We see war, what's taking place in Ukraine and other parts of the world, what's happening. How about the economy with inflation? What's guaranteed about that? Well, we have hopes, but what is really guaranteed? You've probably heard it said, the only thing guaranteed in life is death and taxes. But you know, I've seen people who have escaped most taxes. But there's one thing that seems to be guaranteed in life, and that's death. The grip of death, is that guaranteed for you and me? But as we consider this, this Easter morning, as we scan the horizon of history, we notice a blip on the ironclad grip of death. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was put to death, suffering an agonizing death of the cross, the hands of the Romans outside Jerusalem. Yet, on the third day, on the third day, Christ arose. On a Sunday morning, the day we call Easter, we celebrate now, Jesus broke through the previously ironclad shackles of death and burst forth with new life. Not life that would later succumb to death, but life which was triumphant in every form and every way. Life that has defeated death now and forevermore. If Christ has risen, then the ironclad grip of death has truly been broken, not just for Jesus, but for you and for me. Did Jesus really overcome death on Easter morning? That's the hope of Easter that we celebrate. That's the hope for you and for me. What does it take to fracture the ironclad grip of death that the world wants to throw at us? So we have hope. We're going to look at three things from the text here this morning to help us see that Jesus truly has done this for you and me. To overcome death, first of all, it demands power. It demands real power. You know, it's more than getting a solar panel and enough power to power your home to break the grip of death. It's more than megawatts or gigawatts of power. It takes power which is unlike anything else the world knows. For death isn't going to be defeated by a little bit of effort, some shrewd thinking, a cutting-edge product, or a really smart plan. Christ indeed has risen from the dead. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. This requires great power, the power that only God, the creator of the world, has. God alone has such power. We see this in a number of ways, for we see it in creation. For he is the one who through Jesus created the world and everything in it. What do we see in Colossians 1.16? For by him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. 
The world was made and put in motion by God through Jesus Christ. And God reveals to us his power. His power in creation to reveal to us that he has the power over all things. For God has power. God has power in life. All throughout the scriptures, we see God's power on display in many ways over even life and death from start to finish. God is the ruler over all of life. The psalmist says in Psalm 9-7, the Lord reigns forever. In other words, God is sovereign. God is over all things forever. That is his power. God gives life, and at times, God takes it away. We also see God's power, not just in creation, in life, but God's power for his people over the nations. For this is the same God who brought his people, Israel, to Egypt and formed them into a nation. And then at a certain time, took them out from the Pharaoh's hands and brought them safely to the new land, the land of promise that he gave them, leading them out of Pharaoh's grasp by parting the Red Sea through which through his servant Moses and leading them on dry land. And God who parted the waters and led his people out of Egypt, and when the Egyptians came after him, he closed the waters over them and they were lost. God's power over the nations and the kings of this world, another aspect of his power. God also has the power to heal. For we see many places in Scripture how God can work and bring healing. Such in Matthew 9, 5, Jesus says this to the people gathered, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk, but that you may know the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite self-description, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the mat man got up and went home. Jesus healed the man who was paralyzed. And in many other places we see Jesus' power to heal and to bring healing in life. And we even see God's power over death. Herod the king in Acts chapter 12, who was king over Galilee, who put to death John the Baptist, who mocked and ridiculed Jesus, who killed the apostle James. Herod was a wicked king the Lord finally had enough of. And when Herod took praise that was intended only for God, he put Herod to death. Throughout the scriptures, we see God's power displayed. Power in creation. Power over life. Power over the nations. Power to heal. Power even over death. This has been part of God's work since the beginning, revealing to us his power of the sovereign one, the reigning one of the universe. To overcome death requires power. Power far beyond what you or I have. Far beyond any king or leader of this world possesses. Far beyond any might of the military that they might have. This requires a new kind of power. Power in Jesus Christ. Power that's far beyond any human intelligence. Far beyond any abilities of the best researchers, doctors, and technicians. It's the power of God. His power is needed to overcome death. And only God has that power. The power demonstrated in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection for us. That no other person, king, leader, tech entrepreneur, medical pioneer has ever done, has died and come back to life. None but Jesus. For God and God alone holds the power for life beyond. This is the hope of Easter. Many centuries ago, in Europe... People looked upon the Western Sea, the Atlantic Ocean, we know it now, 
and saw the sun reflecting upon the glittering surfaces at night and wondered if there was anything beyond. Many said you would sail off the edge of the world if you went that way. There was nothing out there. There was nothing at all, nothing beyond. In fact, the coat of arms of the nation of Spain has its motto, had its motto, ne plus ultra, meaning there is nothing beyond. There is nothing beyond. This is the end of it. Spain's at the end of the world. But you know, there came a man, Columbus, who announced that he was going to go try and see if there was something out there. And so he set sail, set sail to see if there was something out there. And he was gone for quite a while, but he came back. And as he returned, the people were thrilled. And what did he say? They shouted with joy, and Columbus announced, there was a land beyond. There was a dream, a paradise, a land, the Americas beyond. And that, so that Spain changed the motto of their coat of arms and the flags to from ne plus ultra to plus ultra, more beyond, from nothing beyond to more beyond, because they found there was something more. Well, you know, for many, many decades and centuries, people have stood beside that dark grave and looked into that dark hole and wondered in the despair of death, is there anything beyond? But one day, a young teacher who taught of God and eternal life is forced into the grave himself and into the blackness of the pit. He sailed off into the edge of death and descended into the earth. People were perplexed and concerned about it. But what happened on that third day? But that Son of God, Jesus Christ, stepped forth from the grave in victory and declared, there is something beyond. There is more than this life alone. There is life eternal for those who would trust through him. Jesus has opened up the door by the power of God for life for you and me. Demonstrating the power of God demands power. But more than that, it also requires proof because he may have the power to do it, but has he done it? Just because there's a power exists doesn't mean he has done that. He has accomplished destroying death and sin and brought about life for you and for me. It requires proof for us. To overcome death, God has the power. But does he have proof? Is this claim real? He offers us a hope. A hope that gives us hope through trial, disease, sickness, struggle, temptation, hardship, conflict, war, poverty, injustice. Anything the world throws in your face, we find hope. But what do we see in the scriptures? But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. There is something more. This is God's power, but he also revealed it and showed it to us as well so we can have proof that this is true. For what do we see? That in his resurrection, that empty tomb, Jesus didn't just show the empty tomb and didn't appear to anyone, but he appeared to people. First of all, he appeared to the women. Each one of the gospels shows that Jesus appeared to the women. Women who had followed him, who were servants of him, who went to see where he was buried early on that Sunday morning. But on the third day, what did they find? They found the empty tomb. Jesus was not there. An angel giving them the news that he was risen. You know, no one would make up a story like this. You know why? Because in the world of that day, often women weren't considered reliable witnesses and didn't have legal standing to be witnesses. No one would make that up. But what do we see in the Gospels? The women are the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection because it's true. But it wasn't just to the women. They saw Jesus, clear evidence of his victory. But he was seen by many witnesses at various times. 
first to Peter, the, the leader of the apostles and the disciples, those the followers of Christ. It was seen by, by Peter, but he was also seen by others. Besides Peter, he appeared to the disciples. He appeared to many as well. Not just those followers, but many, to over 500. And then earlier we see a list of those he appeared to. And that those who appeared, who saw Jesus, they saw with their eyes, this was a full resurrection, a bodily appearance to many over time. And he appeared to the disciples multiple times. It wasn't a hallucination. It wasn't a small group, a conspiracy. This was way beyond that. It was Jesus, the resurrected Christ, in a physical glorified body that could eat but couldn't suffer hunger, that could be touched but couldn't be hurt. This glorified body, this Jesus who died was alive. Think about these same weak and scattered disciples. What does it say in the Gospels about what the disciples were doing when Jesus died? And when he rose again, they were hiding behind locked doors. They were scared. They were scared of the Romans. They were scared of the Jewish authorities. They hid behind locked doors. Good thing Jesus could just walk through those doors. So he could appear to them. So they could see him in the flesh. And that's exactly what happened. He appeared to them. Think about that. Their leader, these 11, who ran and abandoned Jesus at the time of his greatest need, they were scared, terrified, hiding behind locked doors. And when their leader was killed, they had nothing left. He was worthless if Jesus was dead, unless he appeared to them just as the scripture said. These scared followers did what? They saw Jesus and were turned into bold witnesses of the resurrection, who went forward proclaiming the name of Christ. And there's no other explanation for the beginning of the Christian church, then these disciples, these followers of Jesus, these some and the many, they saw the resurrected Christ. That's the only explanation for how this took place. No reason for the church to exist apart from Jesus' resurrection. No people to carry on his message apart from the resurrection. There'd be no power to make it accomplish its furtherance in how it's gone without the power of the resurrected Christ. A handful of backward Jewish folks taking this message over time. Not only that it overcomes the Roman Empire, but becomes the greatest power of the time. And the movement becomes the greatest force in the world. Nothing but the resurrected appearing of Jesus Christ can account for this. He who was dead was alive, this proof for us. Just as the scripture said. And this is what the Old Testament had proclaimed. And now we have seen in life. Psalm 1610 said, God would not let his Holy One see decay. And in Acts, and Peter in his first sermon about the resurrected Christ proclaims that very message, saying this is what David saw. And he proclaims it to the church that God has raised Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. The scriptures foretold that God would raise Jesus to life, that death could not hold him. That's why in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 15, it says, according to the scriptures. To overcome death requires proof, proof that we have. The women, as the first witnesses of the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus appearing to many eyewitnesses, the transformation of the disciples after the resurrection, from scared behind locked doors to those who are willing to die for the message, 
the birth and expansion of the church, the prophecy of Jesus' resurrection, the fulfillment of the scriptures, all of this says that Jesus is alive. Indeed, he has risen from the dead. Hope for you and me today. This which demands power, which requires proof, demonstrated to us. But praise God, it's personal to us. It assures our provision. If the power and proof are established, the only question remains, what about us? for you and me. What does this mean for us as people? Those who belong to God. Those are who trust in him by faith. How does the resurrection impact your life and mine? When we see death around us and realize one day death will knock on our door, we long for the provision from the iron-clad grip of death for the future. And Jesus, Paul says, was what? But the first fruits. But Christ has indeed raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits. What does that mean? What does it mean to be the first fruits of the resurrection or the one who rose from the dead? This comes from the Old Testament. In Leviticus, it talks about God's promise to the people that they would give a portion of their harvest, the first part of the harvest to him. That would be the first fruits where God would guarantee a great harvest to come that as they gave, God would provide. And Jesus is the first fruits. And what this means for us, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. Jesus died and rose, but that's not the end of resurrection. That's just the beginning. Jesus is the first fruits. In other words, as he died and rose, so shall those who trust in him. When we die, we shall be raised to life by the power of God as well. Jesus is the initial harvest. The rest of the harvest is still to come. Paul uses this scriptural imagery to make it perfectly clear to you and me, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the beginning. It's not the whole, it's not the end, it's the beginning of what's to come. That all who believe and trust in him in the same way will be raised to life in a glorified body forevermore. As God raised Jesus to life, so God will raise to life all who believe in his name. This is God's provision for you and for me, that we can have life in his name. Jesus' resurrection is proof that God will provide life and protect us from the sentence of death and separation from God, which our sins deserve. Death will yield for the believers life in Jesus' name. Jesus' resurrection is the earnest money down on his promise that we too may rise to everlasting life. If, if you're buying something significant, often in real estate, and that buyers will come up with an earnest money to say, we're serious about this. This is not just a hope, but this is something we really want to pursue. Jesus' resurrection is that earnest money. And in this case, it's the whole amount put down for you and me, which is on deposit awaiting our death to bring us life based on God's promise, demonstrated through Jesus, his power, his provision, his proof, God's provision for you and for me. You know, maybe some of you put out Easter eggs this morning or you can do it later, and you put candies in it and different things. Well, there was a student in church that had a third grade Sunday school class of 10 students. And one of the students in it was named Philip. And Philip was born with Down syndrome. He was pleasant and happy. But as he grew, he realized that he wasn't quite the same as the other children. And he went to Sunday school weekly at church. 
And he had a great teacher in his third grade class, Philip with the other boys and girls. And they would do creative things. And the other class, they tried to get along with Philip, but they, they didn't really treat him like he was one of them. And it was Easter Sunday morning where they gathered. The teacher had thought long and hard, and he thought, I got an idea for how I can communicate the truth of Easter. And so what he did, he brought a bunch of these eggs, and he told the students, I want you to run around church in the outside. You know, it's probably a little more uh, springtime than it is outside here today. But I want you to find the symbols of new life. And so the students were all excited. They went out to find things. And then come back, and they would share them together, talk about new life. And so they went and found things, came back together and put them in the center of the table. The students were gathered around, see what would they open. They opened one. It was a little flower coming up. And ooh, ah, you know how we do. And one was a piece of green grass. It's coming to life. Another one was a little butterfly. Oh, they opened another one, and it was empty. They said, empty? Well, you know, this is all wrong. This is, who did this wrong? And Philip pulls on his teacher's shirt and says, no, no, I did it right. It's like the grave. It was empty. It was empty that Easter morning. And all the other students stood there with eyes wide open thinking, wow, wow, Philip taught us something. And in that time, he really was integrated into that class where there really became a group. But Philip, having medical conditions and difficulties, his little body, he faced an infection and his body couldn't fight it off. And about a year later, he died. And at his funeral service, that third grade class walked forward and put on his casket that empty egg, symboling new life. New life that, Peter, that Philip was experiencing through Christ. Because Jesus, who is dead, that grave was empty. He's alive to live forevermore. Praise be to his name. The tomb was empty. Philip's egg was empty to show to us that life we can have in Christ. This is God's ironclad guarantee to you and to me that Christ has indeed broken the grip of death. Do you see how the resurrection is vital for our life and our future? This is not a nice thing, a good thing. This is an incredible work, the greatest work of God in Jesus' death and resurrection, that Jesus is alive. God's ironclad guarantee Jesus is risen for you and for me. This truth that Jesus is alive is life-changing, is transforming. For the resurrection of Jesus stands over all time as a showcase for our future, our new life in him, proclaiming to us there is something beyond, that we have life. We have someone who's in authority and power who cares for us and will watch over us and deliver us safely to our eternal home. This is God's hope for you, located in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God protects his own from eternal death, from the judgment our sins deserve. What did the scriptures say to us? If we declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is what he, all he requires. God has done the work. He asks us to confess, to believe, to trust, and live that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you have done that, God has the power to, to raise you to life. And God, who has given us the proof, God is making that provision for you and me so that our world can be changed and we can have that glorious hope on Easter morning. That we can be a people of hope and of truth. That Jesus has overcome death 
and broken the power of sin for us. He's not limited by the bounds of what we know of time and space. The Lord Jesus can be encountered by us, whether it's on the road, whether it's over a meal, or as Paul encountered him on the way to Damascus, we can encounter Jesus, the resurrected and living one. For Jesus came because in our sin we were separated from God. And only Christ, God's own son, could come to earth and on that cross bear our sin and shame, suffering for us where he bore the wrath of God against sin and imperfection upon his, in himself so that we could be forgiven and be reconciled with God. And then he rose from the dead showing and demonstrating that God has accomplished this for you and me. And this is available to every and all of us but only as we put our hope and trust in him. If you haven't done that, today's the day to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Receive him and thus have life in his name. Matthew 28, 20 says, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Praise God, he is with us and is with all who trust in him. On October 20th, 1944, as is God's provision for us, MacArthur returned to Philippines. As the United States pushed back Japan, he returned as he promised. And he promised, he said, I have returned. God's greatest promise to us is seen fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who returned to life on the third day. Thus, that ironclad grip of death, which is so in front of us, has been broken. The power, its power of us is limited because Jesus has risen as the first fruits. As he has raised, so everyone in Christ will be raised as well. Hallelujah. What a God. What a Savior. That the ironclad grip of death has been broken, has his fingers pried off death and broken through the resurrection of Christ. Death has been overcome so we can be a people of hope on Easter morning. For the hope of Jesus, Jesus alive. This is for you. This is not something that's just out there. It's a metaphysical thought. No, this is for our life each and every day so that we can have life today and life forever. Jesus, who died, is alive forevermore. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is alive. How this changes life, not just for everyone, but for us individually as well. Lord, we praise you for how you have demonstrated it. And Lord, you've made provision for us. Lord, help us to be those who trust it, who celebrate it, and live in faith, we pray, through Jesus Christ, the resurrected and living one. Amen.